Shalom, and welcome to Via Hafta Yisrael, a Hebrew phrase which means you shall love Israel. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as our teacher, Dr. Baruch, shares his expository teaching from the Bible. Dr. Baruch is the senior lecturer at the Zera Avraham Institute based in Israel. Although all courses are taught in Hebrew at the Institute, Dr. Baruch is pleased to share this weekly address in English. To find out more about our work in Israel, please visit us on the web at loveisrael.org. That's one word, loveisrael.org. Now, here's Baruch with today's lesson. We want God to work mightily in this world. And we see biblically, since Messiah's ascension, he has worked in what's called the local ecclesia, that that house of God, that location for those who are called out. And ecclesia means just that, those who are called out. Now, it's translated church, but it reminds us of people like Abraham and those that that John had a vision of in the book of Revelation those who are called out of this world into his marvelous light to be a a testimony for his truth, his work, and to do so in order to bring glory and honor to him. God works mightily through a local congregation. Now, that congregation might be a formal one that has a building and such, might be a massive ones of thousands of people. Or it might meet one time or a few times in someone's home each week, might move from location to location. It might only be a handful of, of 6, 10, 15, 20, 30 people, whatever. But this too is a movement of the Holy Spirit. Don't look negatively upon these smaller congregations, these house congregations, because this is how it began early on. And I believe that God may be moving us back into such an experience. Well, take out your Bible and look with me to 1 Timothy and chapter 3. Now, we saw last week that God, he has instructions. We're studying the pastoral epistles. We're seeing instruction for the local congregation. And we need to accept this as divine commandments, instructions that ought not be compromised. And I want to share with you a biblical account. It's from the book of 1 Samuel, and it concerns just this individual, Samuel, and one other, Saul. Now, Samuel was a priest. He had a call upon his life. But the king was the people's choice, Saul. And Saul one day became greatly alarmed because Samuel had said, I'll come and offer up the sacrifices before we, we go to battle. Samuel the man of his world. But because, according to Saul's thought, his vantage point, his rational mind, what he thought was logical, he had envisioned that Samuel would come earlier 
but Samuel didn't. And therefore, because he saw individuals beginning to flee, to depart from the armies of Israel, he became concerned. He began to look at things with human eyes, to think of things with a rational mind, and to behave logically. And what did that bring about? A great failure in Saul's life. Samuel came that day, but after, after Saul had taken upon himself to function in a role that God said, it doesn't belong to you. Only my priests. And here's the problem. One of the things I heard last week from numerous people is what if there's not a qualified man? Then we can't, no. No exceptions. We need to be people that hear God's instructions. They're not hard to understand and implement them. And if there's no qualified person, it is a call to pray, to wait. Many times we wait in order to pray, to to depend and to demonstrate our dependence, our, our trust in God. So don't think because, well, there's not a biblically qualified person here. So in the meantime, we'll stick this person in. That is the same thought of King Saul. And God was greatly displeased and he suffered loss. Let's not behave in a way that brings judgment and loss, but let's behave trusting God that will produce his fruitfulness. In our midst. First Timothy and chapter three. It begins the word is faithful. Some Bibles, a faithful word. And what this is saying, it's introduced. This is trustworthy. You can depend upon what Paul is writing to Timothy for the well being of a local congregation. So what we're seeing is a faithful word. Second part of verse one. If someone, it's in the masculine, by the way, if someone, an overseer, aspires. So there's a position, an overseer. It's similar to a pastor. He may be leading one congregation or overseeing a few. But if someone aspires to to this position, it says here, a good work he desires. This is a good thing to do. It's important. But just because he aspires to this, just because he desires that, that doesn't mean put him in because he wants it. There are qualifications. Now let's move to verse 2. Therefore, and... Actually, the first word in verse 2 is the word day in Greek. It means something which is absolutely necessary, something that is an absolute must. It cannot be changed or altered. A very significant word. So the word therefore, which we first in English, is actually the second word in the Greek text. Therefore, it is absolutely necessary the overseer to be 
beyond reproach. What does that mean? It means that there's not something in his life that that stands out in a negative, in an adverse way. That his name is mentioned and immediately everyone thinks about this failure in his life. This, This action that he did or didn't do. Something that took place that really scars in in an almost unrepairable way this man's reputation. So it says it's absolutely necessary, therefore, that the overseer be beyond reproach. And then what else? Well, an overseer who serves men serve as overseers. And therefore, they need to be men of one woman. Now, this is also something that's highly debated. And let me say that I have some close friends that have been divorced and serve as pastors. I, I love these men. They are godly men, but we disagree on this issue. So I'm not here to, to tell you what other people believe, how other people look at this scripture. I have to study the scripture, pray through the scripture, and wait and see what God puts upon my heart. Let me just be very clear. When I look at this scripture, it tells me that someone who has been divorced ought not serve in this position. When it says men of one woman, it means a man who has not been diverse, that does not have multiple marriages in his history. Two is a multiple. Now, people always say, well, what if that first marriage happened before he was a believer? Is there any scripture that says that if it happened before he came to faith, then it's okay, it doesn't count? I know of any. I don't know of any that that says that. So we can't create situations (laughs) that the Bible does not speak to. So it speaks about marriage, and we know marriage is a covenant, someone who's been faithful in that covenant of marriage. It is vital. It is an absolute requirement. This is how I see the text. Now, also, we we hear people wanting to, to put other spins and such on this verse. But, but marriage, and not just marriage, but we're going to see the children and the house in general are all something that need to be scrutinized. Remember something. A priest, he could not be a priest if he married a divorced woman. There were very strict rules in regard to who he could marry. So this has a foundation, a parallel in the Torah as well, look sometime at Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 21. So he says here, therefore it's necessary that an overseer, that, that this one be beyond reproach and a, a one woman man. Man is plural here because we're talking about men who are overseers but a one woman man doesn't matter 
if if something unfairly happened to him that he's innocent i have a good friend that that that's exactly his situation that that to no fault of himself his wife even testified before the congregation that he is a good husband but she is out she didn't want to continue the marriage she found someone else she left you say well isn't that unfair that that adversely affects him well let me share with you sin adversely affects innocent people but there's consequences marriage is important and that marriage is one of the requirements for serving in such a position so a one woman man and then the next word is a word for for being intoxicated so it says he ought not ever be intoxicated and then it says sound mind this is someone who thinks thoroughly now thinking thoroughly implies according to god's instruction his counsel don't make rash decisions don't make decisions based upon uh simply what's popular what's convenient what is conducive for what you want what you think is going to be best don't ever make decisions from your vantage point make them from the vantage point of god seek his mind seek his perspective and then make sound decisions and he says that someone should be in the next word is the word fitting or appropriate meaning that that when someone sees and knows this person they would say yes i can see that he is fit for that position that this is an appropriate candidate for for this call knowing the requirements and then also a lover of strangers many imply that this is showing hospitality to to those passing through a reason for this so that he can be affect a a a testimony to these people they come through let them spend a day or two there so that he needs to be hospitable and then it says apt to teach because foundationally and we'll see this towards the end of our study <coughs> that that a an overseer a leader in fact the term pastor usually is pastor teacher not just a shepherd but a shepherd that can handle god's word so apt to teach look at verse three now it said that a overseer should not be intoxicated here it says and not given over meaning not influence not uh, uh run over by wine meaning that alcohol doesn't rule his life doesn't lead him in any decisions whatsoever now let me say from my perspective i think it's better never ever ever to drink but here admonition not to be intoxicated not it says someone who's given over to wine and not a striker meaning not a violent person and not someone who is is greedy meaning someone who seeks all the time profit that's what what he's concerned about but rather it says that this one should be gentle meaning this he is not someone who is easily found in conflict that is just waiting to to argue 
So it says that he's gentle. The next word, it's taking something which is related to conflict, and it says he's not in that way. So he's gentle, he's not easily in conflict, and then it says, and not a lover of money. He's not greedy, he's not seeking profit, and he doesn't love money, and the implication is, nor the things that that money can provide. Why? Because if that's his character, then he is going to start ruling in the local assembly in order to earn profit. What is going to give me the most, the most uh, uh, wealth, the most resources, the most uh, possessions? And he's going to be easily manipulated by people and the enemy. So it says, not a lover of money. Look now to verse 4. Now we're getting into his home life, how important that is, where it says his own home, literally one's own home, it's not in the masculine, in, uh, in his, that pronoun his, but one's own house, well administrating, standing before overseeing that, that house, his own home, it says doing so well. And having children in submissiveness with all, notice this, with all seriousness. Now, that word, seriousness, some Bibles say honor. Probably because it's close to children, we know that children are supposed to honor their parents. But it's not the normal word for honor. It's a word for, for being serious. Looking at a situation and understanding the, the value of, of that situation what's going on putting a proper value having a proper respect for this this issue and since we're talking about about the home family is very important so it's having children he says here having children in submissiveness with all seriousness why because if a certain one, and here again, it's a male. If a certain one, one's own house, he does not know how to stand before, meaning administer. How the congregation of God will he care for? So this is something that needs to be done to investigate. Does he rule his house properly? Does he have respect? of his children do they exemplify a a testimony as well for the faith being able to see this as serious as important of great value this is what it's saying and now look if you would to to verse six where it says still on these qualifications of an overseer not a novice in order that not puffed up and why would he be puffed up? Well, pride. And the Bible says pride comes before a fall, meaning that, that he's going to be judged. So it says, not a novice in order that not puffed up pride for judgment that he falls before the devil. Meaning that he doesn't allow that diabolical one, that, that cheater, that liar, because of his pride to get a foothold in his life, a stronghold in his life, where he can manipulate him and bring him to judgment, to shame, to failure, to having an 
ungodly testimony and bring bring contempt upon that, that local assembly. Verse 7. But, and here's the same word again, but it is necessary. That same absolute must. But it's necessary him also a good testimony to have from the ones outside. So not just among other believers, fellow believers, but also people from the outside respect him, meaning outside the believing community, outside the, the local congregations. Those who are not believers still see him as a leader, sees him as a quality individual, someone that, that they would respect, someone that they could, could see as serving in some spiritual leadership in a local community. So it's necessary, him also, a good testimony to have to the ones outside in order that without reproach, meaning not into reproach that he should fall, nor into the snare or the trap of the devil. So choose someone who also knows how to demonstrate his faith outside. Someone who's not a novice, someone who has a proper reputation, in order that for reproach he does not fall, meaning that that scheme of the enemy. And then we see, look now to verse 8. Deacons likewise. Now, we dealt with that position of leader and overseer of a local congregation or perhaps a few. But now a deacon. Deacon is just a Greek word which means servant, but a recognized servant, a servant leader. It says deacons likewise, and here's that same word, to be serious-minded, to put a proper value, a proper understanding upon what, what this, this work is all about. And we're going to see a very important word in a moment. So it says, deacons likewise to be serious and not, and then we have the word double tongue. Now, this is speaking about one that says one thing to one person and something else to another. And the reason why he does this is because he's a man pleaser. He's trying to do things and he'll say whatever in order that it works out good for him. He's not concerned about God or he would follow the instructions of God. And this is a very important principle. Those who want to please God are going to take seriously God's instruction. They're not going to look for an excuse, a rationale, something in order to compromise what God says. They're going to understand it, and they're going to err upon the side of, of that which is, is most likely, most restrictive. We don't want to go too far the other side. Why? If we do, we compromise. So it's better to err on the restrictive side rather than on the liberal side. So it says, Diggins likewise be sensible, 
not double tongue, not given to much wine, but it says also not, and here's that same word for being greedy or, or seeking profit. Don't be someone who gets into this position in order to profit. That's not what it's about. This is not, if you do, you will be manipulated by the enemy. It will begin to compromise your, your theology, your convictions. You'll find yourself in doubt and you'll do things because you want to please others because they, you believe, are the source of, of blessings, not God. So such a person, it says here, cannot be, be greedy. A, a, a person who is seeking profit, verse 9. But what should they do? It says, holding the mystery of faith in a clean conscience. Now, a clean conscience is that which has not been corrupted by the enemy. What corrupts our conscience? Lies, falsehood, that which is in conflict with the word of God. Poor theology will corrupt your conscience. So it says here that we need to be individuals, very clearly, holding the mystery of faith with a clean conscience. And such people, now verse 10, but also those, those who have all of these qualifications, it says, also those, let them prove themselves first. Let them have a, a testimony, a historical testimony that they meet these qualifications and they live out their faith, that, that mystery of faithfulness without, without compromise. So it says, and, and these ones, let them document, prove themselves first, then let them serve being without spot. Now, this, this expression, without spot, or blameless, as some Bibles translate it, has to do with an animal that's going to be offered up at the, the altar, and this animal goes through an inspection. It is so significant that this word appears here. So it just Going along with the whole idea, let them prove themselves first. Let them have a reputation, a history, a testimony. We might say a track record of a proven commitment to the Lord, demonstrating those qualities of being a godly leader. Then let them serve. So he says, doing so without spot, blamelessly. Verse, verse 11. Now, in verse 11, we have the term for women. Now, in Greek, there is not a, a special term for wife. Just like in, in Hebrew, we have the word isha, woman, and it can mean wife. It depends upon the context. Here, we're talking about a wife. The context demands this. Word says, look again at, at verse, verse 11. Wives likewise be 
serious. That serious-mindedness. Be serious, not slanderers. Meaning, if there is an overseer, a deacon, and their wives tend to slander, what is that? It is to speak in a way that adversely characterizes someone else, whether it's necessary or not, whether it's true or not, we ought to strive to stay away from that. Not to speak in such terms, not to slander someone. So it says here, wives, likewise, be be serious-minded, not slanders, and use that same word, not intoxicated, but faithful in all things. Very important. She too has to have a testimony in order for her husband to be selected in this position. Verse 12, it says, Deacons, let them be that same qualification for an overseer, a one-woman men. Let deacons be one-woman men. And again, same thing. In my opinion, divorce means that one cannot serve as a pastor, as a deacon, as an overseer. One-woman man. Also, it's saying children administering, serving them well and one's own household. So very similar to what we see, that he's supposed to have have leadership in a proper way over his household, his children as well. Verse 13, for the ones who serve well, the ones having served well, it says, they acquire for themselves a, a high or a good rank. Now, this is word similar to military. You have different ranks, whether you're a sergeant or a captain or a colonel or a general. It's it's moves up. And we should mature. And as we fulfill one role, we can move on to one that has greater responsibility, greater uh, potential, or such. So it says here, for the ones who have served well after serving well, they acquire for themselves a, a good degree, a good ranking, and much confidence in faith in Messiah Yeshua. Now, this last part of that verse is really special because what it's saying is this, as you serve well, you are going to move up. God is going to give you greater assignments, more responsibility, more more resources to carry them out. You're going to be used greater by the Lord. And this is going to mature you being confident, confident in the faith, confident in Messiah. Why are those two things confident in the faith, confident in Messiah? What's well, tell us? We realize it's all about him. It's his provision, his presence. So we grow, and faith is not just what I believe, but faith becomes Yeshua. 
Him in our life, ruling our life, administering our life. He becomes more and more. This is what John the Baptist was saying. I must become less. I must grow in the faith, meaning he must become more in my life. I'm lost in him. That's what we're supposed to be. Less and less, him more and more. Verse 14. Now we're coming to the conclusion of this, this chapter. And he's going to, to finish with some, some words of, of personal uh, uh, condolences to them, meaning this. He knows that they're sad about something. And he's writing primarily to Timothy, but it's going to be shared within the congregation. And he said before, I want to come and visit. But notice what he says. These things to you I write. Why? I had hope, hoping to come to you quickly. This means soon, right away. But if delayed, and this can be since being delayed, he's not getting there. He wants them to know something. So he writes, in order that they should know how it's necessary to behave in the house of God. Now, I would underscore this because we're coming on something very, very important. Paul saying, Timothy, I wanted to come. I wanted to come soon, quickly to you. But uh, if delayed, I'm writing you these things <laughs> because I want you to know how to conduct yourself, how to behave in God's house, which is now. God's house, what's he referring to? He says, Hotis estin ecclesia theou zontos, which means, which is the church of the living God. So he uses that same word ecclesia, this place where those who have been called out assemble where they, they worship God, where they study God's word, where they come together to serve God by having an influence in the local congregation. So he says, I want you to know how to conduct things, yourself and all things in the house of God. And I want you to know that this house of God that I'm referring to is this, this local assembly, this this house of the living God, the church. And then he goes on and he says this, referring to the local congregation, it is a pillar and foundation. Some Bibles will say base. It is a, a pillar and foundation <laughs> of truth. Now, in my Bible, I, I highlighted that put an asterisk by it because it's so important. Paul wants us to know it's a pillar. It's the foundation of truth. If we don't hold fast to the truth of God in the local assembly, the world's not going to have a pillar and a foundation. Nothing's going to be built. So that's why it's so important that we affirm God's truth and do not compromise his truth. I received more responses by email concerning last week's message concerning 
women being preachers and teachers over men. And so many of them gave a rationale based upon human conjecture, based upon what seemed right in their own eyes. Never do they speak about the truth of God. This is what is the pillar and the foundation of God's activity in this world. Do not violate it. Be faithful to it. Be obedient to it. I don't want to go before God. See, everyone, every believer, it's necessary that we go before the Bema seat of Messiah. We learned that in our study of Corinthians. And I don't want to go there and God say, did you support this position? Yeah, I did. Well, did you read the scripture? Oh, yeah. What do you think it means? Well, I thought it meant this. So why didn't you stand for that? I don't want to be someone who goes before God, compromise, saying I knew one thing, but I was too weak. I was too much in love with, with financial uh, things, with, with the physical, that I, I diverted myself from what you placed upon my heart. See, what you have to have is a fear of God. And I believe that a real tactic of the enemy is to just not speak much about the judgment of God so we don't think about it and we do what we want. Very, very, very foolish. Foolishness, indeed. We need to understand God's word is very clear. And it's always those who want to twist, but say, yes, but what if this and that? And different times we're living, all these things hurt them all. But they're not going to move me from what I read in the text, because this is the work of the living God. Look now to verse 16, our last verse. And, and this next word has to do with having made a confession. So a confession has been been stated. It's known. And therefore he says, and confessed, it's a known fact, in other words, that great is the mystery of godliness. Now, why do you think now of all times Paul says that? It needs to be confessed by everyone. You need to acknowledge this, that great is the mystery of, and this word can mean a strict piety. Many Bibles translate it godliness, but it's one who's very, very concerned about straying to the right or to the left away from what God says. You know, I am more concerned with God's view of me than what you may think of me or anyone else because you're not my judge. I'm not your judge. The name Daniel reminds us God is my judge. I have to give an account to him and therefore I want to err on the side of caution saying, you know, it says this and you know, that's how I thought it meant and therefore I was faithful too what the Spirit of God 
gave me. I didn't compromise. So he says here, great, and the word is mega, great is the mystery of, of godliness. And what do we see here? Well, this is kind of a benediction. It's kind of a, a, a statement of, of wonder. He says, God was manifested in the flesh. Very important. Someone says, you know, the Bible doesn't speak about the divinity of, of Messiah. Really? Well, what do you do with this? God was manifested in the flesh. And we're going to see he's talking about Yeshua, about Jesus here. He says, God was manifested in the flesh. And we have justified in the spirit. What do you mean justified? Well, here it's talking about God proved, demonstrated, that Messiah, everything he did was righteous. This is a reference to the Spirit of God coming upon Yeshua, his dead body, and raising him from the dead. Now, his spirit never died. A spirit never dies, meaning it doesn't cease. It goes to one of two locations. Now, we won't go into the time prior to this in Shoal and Abraham's bosom and, and Gehinom or, or hell, but it speaks here that God manifested himself in the flesh and, and he was declared righteous. This one who was manifest in the flesh, Yeshua, he was justified in the spirit, referring to the resurrection, God's confirmation. He was seen by, your Bible says angels, which is fine. Maybe angels in that sense. It may be the word angel can mean a messenger. Those are our apostles. So it could be those servant messengers that, that saw him. And what did they do? They proclaimed him among the nations. And, and he was believed in the world, throughout the world. And ultimately, we know something, speaks about Messiah, the incarnation, his crucifixion, his resurrection at the end. It speaks about simply, and he ascended, was ascended in glory. Now, I don't know about you, but I believe that. I believe that Yeshua is indeed God when he walked upon this world, God in the flesh. I believe that, that God demonstrated in the resurrection that he received everything that Messiah did. He rose from the dead to signify he is the son of the living God. There was a witness testified who saw him alive, resurrected from the dead. They proclaimed among the nations, and he was believed throughout the world. And of course, God received him back into heaven through the ascension. So important. Let me ask you, are you going to serve this one? Have you accepted this one? Have you given your life to this one? In order that whatever he wants from you, you want to do. You want to submit to that. This is your utmost desire. I'm going to close with this. A friend of our family, he passed away due to corona. He was 73. 
we, we served together. And he wasn't all that much older than me. But, but his opportunity to serve God here has ended. He's in the kingdom of heaven right now. And I want to, to be mindful that the time we have, it may be short. We want to utilize the opportunity and we want to be found faithful followers. We want to do the instructions of God. We don't want to debate these things. We want to receive them for what God reveals clearly in his word. We want to implement them and have that testimony, a testimony with that clean conscience. This is my heart's desire, and I trust it's yours as well. Well, until next week, when we gather together once more, may God bless you. Shalom from Israel. Well, we hope you will benefit from today's message and share it with others. Please plan to join us each week at this time and on this channel for our broadcast of loveisrael.org. Again, to find out more about us, please visit our website, loveisrael.org. There you will find articles and numerous other lectures by Baruch. These teachings are in video form. You may download them or watch them in streaming video. Until next week, may the Lord bless you in our Messiah Yeshua, that is, Jesus, as you walk with Him. Shalom from Israel. Thank <laughs> you.